So, thank you so much uh, for being here this morning. Um, it has just been such a delight this morning to see Kelly, and I think it was her mum also got baptised in the first meeting this morning, which is just such a joy and a delight. Um, but this Sunday is our Vision Sunday. So it, it's, a, it's a Sunday we set aside at a certain point in the year to look back on what God's done in our church community over the last year and look ahead to what we feel as a leadership God is going to do in us in the year ahead. Um, and so it's an opportunity for us all to reflect together. And so last year when I spoke, I spoke about the fact that many churches fall into the trap of judging their success through like this ABC of attendance, buildings and cash. So how big your church is, or how big your building is, or how much money you have in your church bank account, well, that, that must mean that your church is doing well. But when we read Acts 2, and we see the early disciples come together, it says that they gave themselves over to certain things. And the, the things that they gave themselves over to would be, really, if we want to talk about in the English language, is like a D, E, and F. They gave themselves over to discipleship, to evangelism, and to fellowship. And I said that as a church, we wanted to be a church that centered everything we do around discipleship, evangelism, and fellowship. And that is not changing, okay? We're not going to just go off track and do something else because we believe this is the measure and these are the measures that God calls us to judge what we're doing by. But if we were going to go look, just look at for a second, just take a moment to reflect back on the last year and look at these three areas, what did we do? Well, this year we focused on discipleship as we went through our series in 1 Corinthians. We focused on spiritual gifts. We also did those evening talks on sexuality as well. Um, we've looked to look at topics that um, help you to follow Jesus more closely, but also help you to in encounter him in your day-to-day -day lives. We've had Wendy Mann come and spend some time with us as a church family, teaching us how to um, exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And we also had that amazing devotional guide, I'm just thinking about that particular series, produced by Catherine Frost. Um, and we've been running growth groups and life groups this year, as spaces that you can connect with others, but also grow in your walk with Jesus. So our heart has been discipleship. We want you to be able to be flourishing as a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, and I think probably one of the biggest areas we've pushed into in the last 12 months, and really this is because Jazz has been with us and got her feet under the table now in terms of being here. We've really been pushing through on evangelism, and we've, got, we've had a... Lots of events going on. There always seems to be something coming up, doesn't there, Debbie, now, in terms of something we're doing here evangelistically in the church. We've seen people come to faith and be baptised as a result of things that we've done. So Kelly, who got baptised after the first meeting today, um, came to faith through an Alpha course that we ran here. We've seen thousands of different people come through our church building, through the Riverside Centre, day to day as we've opened the cafe, which is continuing to go from strength to strength. We've done quiz nights, barbecues, and we've also run weekly ministry. So ESOL, which serves so many people so well, run by Louise Moore and team. Pain management, run by Jenny and her team. And the parents and toddler group, run by um, Becca and Abby and Steph. We see people come into the building every single week who don't know Jesus. And also, we focused on fellowship this year. My favourite thing um, that we did this year in terms of focusing just on being church together was just two weeks ago when we had to re-change re the date for the barbecue. And it was just so great to see so many people turn up in the afternoon after the meetings. And we just experienced some amazing food that was put on. And also just great, just great fellowship. Great to get to know one another and spend extended time chatting to one another. Now, we are using these three areas to underpin 
um, lots of different things in church, including the structure for how leadership works in terms of who's doing what. And when I speak in two weeks' time, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on that. Um, but I don't have time to do that today. And also, I, I wouldn't want you to forget some things and remember others. So we, we'll leave that one for the time being. But what I want to say in terms of going back over the last year is I, just, I'm, I want you to point you back on these things, not because we're trying to say, look at what we've done, but look at what God's done. Look at what God's done among us. As we've just committed to the New Testament principles of discipleship, evangelism, and fellowship, we're seeing people come to faith, and we're seeing the gospel reach out into people's lives, and we are also encountering more of God amongst us. And so as we turn to this year, what do we feel God's saying to us at the moment, and what's, what's he saying to us in the season ahead? Well, Back in May, we had Phil Wilfew, who um, oversees our church apostolically for the movement of churches that we're part of called Catalyst. He came down from a church called King's Arms at Bedford, if you don't know that. Um, and um, he was with us just at the end of the July. We brought Lecky into eldership. But Phil, is, um, Phil oversees the church. And if you want to find some great teaching resources, go on the King's Arms website and have a look through their libraries. They're excellent. And so we are really blessed by them. But he brought a team to be with our leadership team. And back in May. And whilst he was with us, he had a prophetic word for us as a church. And we felt it was so important that we based our series on Ezra because of what he brought. And we also feel that this is what God is saying to us in the year ahead. And he brought this prophetic word based on Ezra chapter 5, verse 2. And this says this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, I couldn't say that word properly. Joshua, son of Jozadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were, were, were there with them, supporting them. And then he went on to say this. A commission on this house to take things that are ruined and make them strong. The time to get the plumb line in your hand again and to look at the straightness of the spiritual walls around you and build a temple. A dwelling place for God that will bring glory to God in your community. I felt I could see physical blueprints that... God was enlarging in this season. I feel like there is a blueprint, even the footprint of your building. I can see God stretching it. As in Isaiah 54, strengthen your stakes, lengthen your cords. I feel the Father says he's enlarging your blueprint. Mm -hmm. It's a season where he's going to define and clarify the blueprint for Gateway 2.0. It's a blueprint bigger than it ever has been. The Father wants to remind you that he has called you to be a Gateway Church. That means you are to think of yourselves as bigger than you actually are. There is a doubling, a double portion in this season. It's time to think big. It's time to remember that you're called gateway for a reason. God has strategically placed you here at a strategic point in history, and it's a rubbable moment. God is calling you to build the house of the Lord. And so my response to this, and our response to this, is to first of all say this. When prophets speak, we need to listen. Okay, and what we, what we, we tend to do in, in our kind of, I would say, in Western Christianity with our type of churches, is I think the voice of the prophet often gets lost. And we need to make sure that we listen to the voice of the prophetic amongst us. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14 that when, when the prophets speak, we need to weigh what is said. And as a leadership, we've weighed this word, and we believe that it's significantly important to us as a church family. And I think when we read it, we go, oh, he's talking about the building. He's talking about making the building bigger. Okay, so Barney's going to say, the, the, the vision is about the building. Well, I think the building is the outworking of something underneath it. And there's something underneath this that the building will become the visible sign of, but there's something that God wants to do in us first. And it's to take the spiritual plumb line again and start building the house of the Lord. You see, I don't think that, um, 
I, I don't think that the building's not important. In fact, I know that the building's important. I know that we are pushed for space. As we've said this morning, we're changing the meeting times because we're pushed for space. It's the reality of what God's doing among us. But to be, and to be totally frank and totally honest, I'd hope that by this point in time, after like two years of working with an architect to look at build building plans, and I have, we have literally exhausted every single eventuality for this building. I can, if you've got an idea, I'll show you a plan for it, basically. Um, we've looked at everything. We've hit just a number of setbacks, a number of challenges, both around costs and about feasibility and all of those different things. And, and, and I so desperately want to share something with the church on it because I know that this is almost a pressure for us and we can feel it. But as I've been reflecting on that and also then reflecting on what we were bringing today, I've realised I don't think that it's, it's just it's like it's something bad holding us back. I think God's been holding us back because there's something he wants to do in us first. As Phil said, it's the time to get the plumb line in your hand again and look at the straightness of the spiritual walls around you and build a temple, a dwelling place for God. You see, the goal and vision that God has given us, as I've said already, isn't a building, but it's that we become a community and we build a culture here that is focused on becoming a place where God's presence dwells. And as we do that, there will be a physical sign that what we're doing is, is, is God's plan for us because there will be the outworking of the enlargement of our building. Now, we're in Ezra because of this word. And today I'm going to go back two chapters before Phil's... So Phil spoke from Ezra chapter 5, verse 2. And this morning I feel that God wants us to... And our vision for this year, based on what Phil said, I feel that where we are actually at is in Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. So let's have a look at that together. Ezra 3, chapters... So Ezra chapter 3, 1 to 6. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. So if you remember back two weeks ago, I spoke from the, the start of Ezra and I said that Cyrus, the king of Persia, had issued a decree to send the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They've, gone, they've now gone back. Jazz spoke about all that list of names last week because I gave her a really easy topic to preach from. Jazz spoke from a list of names last week to show you that actually everybody's involved in that process. They're all called to be part of it. And the people go back to Jerusalem and what they do for seven months is they just get used to their environment. That's what they do. And I think that's actually maybe where we've been in the last season. We've been getting used to our environment. And then there's this call. They come together as one in Jerusalem. Verse two. And then Joshua Son of Josadak, it's the same person that we see in chapter 5, and his fellow priest, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, same person we see in chapter 5, and his associates began to build the altar of the, the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So the Israelites are tasked in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, they're tasked with building a temple, a temple um, of God's presence. It's, a, it's to be a permanent dwelling for the presence of God amongst them. Yet they don't start with the bricks and mortar of the temple. They start with an altar. They start by saying, our priority is going to be on encountering the presence of God. They start with sacrificial worship. That's how they start. 
Their priority isn't bricks and mortar, it's God among them. They want to see God move among them. And if we were to go forward to verse 8, we see that they don't just do this for like a couple of days and then they go, well, let's just get to work now. You know, the, the, the smoke's still smouldering on the altar next door. No, what they do is they do this for seven months. For seven months. So there's a season in their journey where they say, do you know what? The bricks and mortar can wait. We are going to focus on God's presence. But why? Why did they do that? Well, I think I was reflecting on this a little bit. Why, why would you do that? Well, if, I think if they'd started with the temple, if they'd started with the bricks and mortar, they wouldn't have learned the lessons of previous generations. You know, the, the, going back before the exile, the kings had built names for themselves by doing what they did. They were more worried about the, the, the name that they were building for themselves than God's glory. The temple, if they'd have just gone about building the temple without building an altar first, would have become a spectacle and not a place of meeting. You see, the vision wasn't a building. The vision was God's presence. So they start with the thing that they know that they need to do. God's presence, the altar among them, a place of worship where God dwells with them. The vision that God has given us as a church community, that the gateway 2.0 vision, if you want to call it that, is that we become a place where God's presence dwells. The vision that God has given us is that we become a place like an altar-first community, where the thing that we prioritise above everything else is that we are altar-first. That when we come together on Sundays or we go meet in groups, that we are altar-first. That it's about the presence of God above everything else. See, some churches are known for their great preaching. Some are known for great social action. Some are known for great children's ministry. Our church is known for being really good with children's ministry. But we want to be known. As a place where God dwells and you can meet with him. I want people to come here because they know that if they come to Gateway Church, they're going to meet with Jesus. They're going to encounter the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's possible. In fact, I think I'd say it's quite normal in, in the West to be in a church where you don't encounter God. As sad as that is, you don't experience him. You see, we've become more cerebral than we have experiential. If you read a lot of theology, like I do... Most theologians don't even believe experience is a thing. And that influences how churches behave. You might experience at church on a Sunday great coffee, great conversations with people, great intellectual arguments, but maybe you don't ever experience God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches about a church. It's not why the restoration movement happened in the 60s and 70s that this church came out of. It was built on the foundational understanding that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit still met with his people. We believe that we can meet with God and he wants to meet with us. We believe that we can experience the presence of God tangibly. We believe that change only happens when we encounter Jesus. You know, the Freedom in Christ course is brilliant. If you haven't done it, do it. But what does the Freedom in Christ course do? It leads you to an encounter with Jesus. We want to build a community that is a dwelling place for his presence, where every meeting, every interaction between us is filled with a tangible sense of the presence of God, where we become so confident in his presence with us that we begin to carry his presence out into our day-to-day lives. And we need to prioritise building that culture in the season that we now enter. We want to become an altar-first community. We need to have like a laser-like focus on this one thing. This is going to be the thing that inhabits our meetings when we meet as leaders and when we meet as a church community. Everything else becomes kind of secondary or inconsequential. It needs to flow out of the presence of God. God is calling us to be presence-centered and altar-first. 
But okay, so that, that all sounds great. It could sound a little bit like Christ, Christian spiel. What does that look like in practice? Well, let me try now and attempt to put some meat on those bones in the time that we've got left together. So if we were going to look at the Israelites in Ezra 3, there are some things that we learn. First of all, you see, to be an altar first people, what you do is you need to make your identity the foundation of everything you do. The Israelites had arrived at Jerusalem after the exile, assured of their heritage and knowing who they were. So they knew the law. This wasn't like Josiah, if you go back in, I think it's in 2 Kings, where they rediscover the book of the law. And they think, oh my goodness, look, what, 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 what have we not been doing all this time? No, no, they, they, they know their identity. They know their identity. They're, they're confident to step into their inheritance as God's people. And they do that, and we see this in the verses we've read, by reestablishing a pattern of worship. They know what the Levitical law says about worship, and they do the same thing. You know, as Christians, under the new covenant, we don't have to strive for God's presence. Jesus' death and his resurrection means that he's able, he was able to send another. Jesus says in John, unless I go, I will not be able to send another to you. So Jesus has gone to be with the Father so that the Holy Spirit might come and reside in us. And the Holy Spirit is God's presence within us. And when we approach God, this is the wonder. When we approach God, we don't come as slaves. I preached on this this year. But we come as sons and daughters. This is like a foundational theology for us as a movement in Catalyst. We come as sons and daughters of the Father. It's your right as a son and daughter to enter into the presence of God. My children exercise that right with me every single morning. When they wake me up by coming into our bedroom, and it doesn't matter what time of morning it is, I love them to pieces, you know, it might be five o'clock in the morning, they exercise their right to come into their parents' room (laughs) and wake you up and say, we're here. They have a right because they're my children. And then I tell them to go back to bed. (laughs) But the thing is, you see, for many of us as Christians, we know this. We know this cerebrally. Yeah, I know I've got a right to enter into God's presence. But what we do is, in practice, we wait outside of God's door And we wait for him to come out and meet with us. When the Bible teaches us that we have the opportunity to go and enter into his presence. Perhaps some of our language, perhaps some of my language needs to shift. From, Lord, we want your presence. And I do, God, I want your presence. To come on, let's enter into his presence together. As Paul writes, through him, that's Jesus, you and I, we both, that's Jew and Gentile, but you and I have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus' victory on the cross doesn't just win us redemption from sin. It doesn't just win us um, redemption by his grace. There's a great, wonderful theology that we know about, that, that you're saved by grace and grace alone, not based on your own works, but based on the work of Jesus on your behalf. You see, we could just stop there, but there's something even more wonderful about the gospel, that it gives you adoption as sons and daughters. J.I. Packer, the famous theologian, says that it, he says that this is an even bigger thing than justification by faith. He says adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. We have adoption as, son, as sons and daughters of God. And we have to continue to lean into this and, and contend for it in our lives. Some of us dissuade and discount ourselves from being involved in serving in church because we don't think that we're worthy. And God has called you a son or a daughter. You are worthy. Expect this to come through this year. So when we, we're going to talk about this over the next year, we want this to come through in our teaching, in the way that we speak about things, on Sundays, in our groups, in worship, when we're singing songs. We sing songs that talk about our adoption as sons and daughters of God. Whenever you hear it, you'll know that we are intentionally leaning into this theology. So because of Jesus, you and I have access to God's presence, and we can freely enter into his courts. 
Yet there's a kind of almost paradox or a converse truth that is also equally true. That we also need to cultivate, create and cultivate an atmosphere where his presence is welcome to enter into our lives and into our community. So we have the opportunity and the freedom to walk into the presence of God, but we're also called to live lives that are welcoming of the presence of God. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6, that if, you, um, if you're in Christ, you are a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, therefore, he's writing about something else. He says, you need to honour God with your bodies. What you do matters, he says. Last weekend, um, Claire and I weren't here. We were um, with a ministry team um, in a, a, a church that's part of our hub of churches called Eglise Connect, which is in Montelimar in France. They were fantastic. Um, they um, rewrote um, pop songs to uh, worship with worship lyrics like Get Lucky by Daft Punk. It was great. Um, anyway, we were, we were there with them, and we, we got there on Friday night at 2 a.m. in the morning, um, and so we stayed in the hotel the first night. We then did, we were involved in ministry with their leadership team all day, prophetic ministry with their leadership team, and then we had like an evening meeting, and it finished at like 10.30 at night, so it was a late one. And then by the time that Everybody had chatted to one another. It was 11.30, and Claire and I had had like four hours, five hours sleep the night before, and we were looking at each other like, I just can't wait to go to bed. We were staying with a, a guest family, a host family in the church, and they came over to us. It was about half 11. And they said, you're coming back to our house? And I said, yeah, have you got a bed ready? <laughs> I'm so tired. And they said, oh, no, we've got wine ready for you. I said, okay. <laughs> so then we had a hire car, and we were driving over there, and we were laughing in the car. So it was just Claire and I in the car. I said, I just want to go to bed. I'm so tired. She says, yes, I might. Anyway, we turned up at this house, and I've never been welcomed the way that they welcomed us. They'd spent all day cleaning their house. You could just tell. You know when you walk in somebody's house, and you go, gosh, they've really made an effort. <laughs> there, were, there were candles out everywhere. It, it just felt like we were honoured. And we got to the wine, and it wasn't just a couple of bottles from Lidl, which is what I would provide somebody with. Sorry, the dad, dad, my dad likes wine, who's here, right? And so he comes to our house and looks at the wine and thinks, what is this? Um, this was like the best wine in their region of France that they got out for us. I came home and checked the price out. Oh, they, they really blessed us. <laughs> but it wasn't just the wine. There was cheese. There was different things he wanted us to try out. They had made so much effort to make us feel welcome. We felt like honoured guests. And he said, we don't often get people from the UK with us. We want to bless you. We didn't get to bed until I think it was one o'clock in the morning. You know, we could have turned up and, the, and, and they could have just offered us a bed in the house and we would have been happy, but they offered us more than that. And I just, there's a prophetic picture in this, in this for us as a church that we want to create an environment where God is not just welcome to come, but where he's honoured. Where, where as we meet together on a Sunday morning, like we pull out all the stops for our king. Yeah. That as he comes, that we're ready for him. We're ready and waiting for Jesus to come. That, that we create an environment and we, 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 we keep tending to that environment where God is welcome to be with us. Uh, besides that foundation then, how do we create an environment that God is welcome among us? Well, what do we need to do in order to create that welcome environment? I think there's two extra things that we find in the text here. First of all, it's we need to give ourselves over to faith-filled living. So an altar-first people live in a faith-filled way. You see, the Israelites set about obeying various festivals, ceremonies, and sacrifices not only in a faithful way, but a faith-filled way. And, and they did those things. You see, there's a difference between being faithful and faith-filled. If you're faithful, it can end up in ritual. If you're faith-filled, it's out of relationship. You see, their obedience to the law is not an obligation, but it's an act of faith. They obey the law knowing that they're going to meet with God. It's an act of faith. You see, real faithfulness, which we, sp we see um, read about in, in Galatians 5, 22, is a fruit of the Spirit 
and not an act of the will. It's faith-filledness. So we need to adopt a posture of faith-filled living as a church. And we can do that, classic biblical preaching, in three ways. Being obedient, being intentional, and being courageous. These are very quick sub-points, by the way. If we want to encounter more of God's presence as individuals, we need to walk in obedience. We have been made righteous before God. I've said it already. You and I have right standing before him. But also it says in the New Testament, be holy as God is holy. We are called to righteous living. We need to continue to exhort and encourage one another towards faith-filled, holy lifestyles. Maybe that's a challenge for you this morning. And the best place that you can do that is by being part of a community with other Christians. It says in Hebrews 10, don't give up the habit of meeting with other Christians. Why? Because that's where you'll grow. That's where you'll encounter the presence of God together and exhort and encourage one another to pursue lives after Jesus. So what we're doing on this in the next year, in order to help you walk faithfully and faith-filled obedience before God, is we are looking at restructuring our community groups. So expect in the spring term, after Alpha this term, there will be a relaunch of our groups. I'll share a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks' time as well. But until that point in time, the challenge for you individually is, have you signed up for an Alpha group? And if you've not, why not? It's a great opportunity to connect with other Christians or connect with those who don't know Jesus. Secondly... The Israelites were intentional. See, faith-filled living leads to intentionality. They, they set about their activity knowing what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing and why they were doing it. If we follow these things, we know that we're going to honour God with the sacrifices we offer him, they thought. And if we want to become a dwelling place for the presence of God, we know as a leadership that we need to be intentional. That means that we need to actively set, a t- set aside time to pursue God together as a church. And it's difficult, right, on Sunday mornings to always do that. And so we need to make more opportunities. So first of all, you will know that over the last year, so because the one thing I haven't mentioned yet is prayer, which is the thing that I'm passionate most about. Over the last year, we've gone from 12 prayer meetings a year to five prayer meetings currently a week. We want to encounter the presence of God, so we need to create opportunities for that to happen. But we also need to give more time to that in worship. And so... We've decided that we're going to set regular time aside to encounter God together in worship. And that's normally going to fall on a Sunday evening once a month. The first one of those on a Sunday is going to be on the 15th of October when we have our friend Ben Goodman with us from the States who's a gifted prophetic voice um, to us. And he's going to be with us that evening. But we also wanted to make another opportunity based on what I'm saying this morning. So on this Wednesday night, for our prayer meeting, we're just going to encounter God together in worship. I'd love for you to be there as we just worship him together. Thirdly, faith-filled living leads to courageousness. When the Israelites began work on their altar, they felt fearful. It says in verse 3 of the peoples around them, yet they're faith-filled. They continue to pursue God's presence with courage and fortitude. In the midst of the circumstances they're in, they look around them and think, gosh, I wonder what the other people are going to think of us as we do this. There's an invitation for us as a church community to step out and step into something and not worry about what other people think. Not worry about what people outside the church might think. Not worry about what it means to invite somebody along to church, chatting to somebody before this morning. You know, when you invite a friend along to church and it's like, oh gosh, I wonder what might happen today. You know, I want to be able to have an environment here that if I invite a non-Christian friend along, they're not worried about anything. Why? Because they meet the presence of God when they turn up on a Sunday morning. We need to create an environment where we encounter his presence. There's an invitation to step out and be courageous together in the year ahead. And lastly... 
first, first of all, they built the, 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 the foundation of identity. Secondly, they gave themselves over to faith-filled living. And thirdly, they produced sacrificial worship. If worshipping God costs you nothing as a believer, it's not worship. If you sing songs in your car and it doesn't change anything about how you live, you're, it's, not, it's not worship. If you, if you sing these words, and it was a song they almost sung this morning. I heard them rehearsing it this morning. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Right, we've all sung that song. Most of us will have sung that song before. If we sing that on a Sunday and then turn out into the car park and get into our car and we give our heart over to every other desire under the sun, we're not engaging in true worship. We're just paying lip service to God on a Sunday morning. The posture you adopt in worship is key when you, you come and turn up on a Sunday morning. When we come to worship, there's a challenge for you. Are you actively turning your life over to him? Or are you just singing some words that you see on the screen as they come up in order? You know, is your mind wandering off into everything else under the sun as you just verbally spout out what's on the screen? Or are you giving yourself over to sacrificial worship? You see, the people gave themselves over to an atmosphere of sacrificial worship. Everything was on the altar for them. There wasn't anything they were prepared to leave off of it. God had all of them. You see, through regular sacrificial worship, they'd cultivated an environment where the presence of God was not only welcome but honoured. Sacrificial worship is giving everything over to Jesus. It's laying down our time, our energies, and our material material goods at his feet. And it creates an open door for the presence of God. You see, as you clear out stuff in your life and say, God, come and, come and fill it with your, your presence, what happens is that we encounter more of him. And so we need to give ourselves over to this this year. We need to give ourselves over to being an altar-first community. God is calling us to do this as a church, and you are invited to be part of this. Maybe for you, you've come from a background where the things of the Spirit seem a little strange to you. Or maybe you're from a Pentecostal background, you're going, come on, we just need to get involved in this. It doesn't matter what your background is, we are together as one community walking together into this. And the way that we do that is through identity as a foundation, faith-filled living in practice, and worship becomes sacrifice. And so it's an invitation for all of us in this season ahead to step into this together as a community. And as I've said this morning, this will be outworked in various ways across the year. But I suppose my prayer is, is that when I deliver this vision talk next year, we know We know we've become an altar-first people. Why? Because we're experiencing the presence of God more and more and more. You know, there's no end to the presence of God. God's going to fill all time and space with the glory of the Lord. It says this in the Psalms, that everything will one day be filled with the glory of the Lord. There's, There's always more to the presence, and we want more of him and more of Jesus in our church community. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, we, just, we come again at the start of a new year, at the start of a new term, at the start of, a, I suppose, a new vision sort of cycle, if you want to call it that, like it is on my calendar. And we come and we just say, God, we just want you. Lord, we just want you. Jesus, we want to be altar first. Lord, we want to lay our lives down on the altar of worship for you, that you might come and fill every space within us. Lord, that as we turn up on Sunday mornings, Lord, that we're ready to worship. That we're ready, that we're here, we're ready to go. Lord, as as we meet in groups midweek, that we're expectant of what you're going to do among us. Lord, we want to be a church community so confident in our identity as sons and daughters that we're confident to walk into your presence wholeheartedly. 
And so, Lord, we pray over the next year, Lord, that, that, that the words that I've spoken this morning and things that we've heard about before, we've, we've taught on this stuff multiple times. But, Lord, we want this to become our culture. And we know that culture takes time and effort to create. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would help us this year to create a culture that is all about you, Lord Jesus, and your presence among us. Because we know that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And in your presence, lives are changed. And so, Lord, we pray that this year that we might encounter you more and more among us and that we might see Ashford changed for your glory. Amen. 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 Brilliant.